This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momenta Partners and Momenta Ventures. Welcome to our Digital Leadership Podcast. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momenta, they are deep industry practitioners. We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day, everyone, and welcome to episode 97 of our Digital Leadership Podcast Series. Today, I'm pleased to have Ohad Zera. Ohad is an advisor, investor, and a public speaker who has overseen the launch of innovative new technology-driven products from ideation to scale. He brings a repeatable process for helping early-stage startups successfully collaborate with corporations and for creating entrepreneurial new initiatives within large enterprises by implementing repeatable processes. Previously as VP of Mobility and Future Ventures for Avis Budget Group, OHAD created new businesses that deploy and support the shared electric or autonomous fleets of tomorrow and transform the company from a rental to a mobility brand. As director of Consumer IoT at Verizon, OHAD owned the consumer IoT portfolio and led key projects in natural and contextual user interfaces. OHAD was the co-founder and product lead for the Wemo brand, a pioneering connected smart home platform, which was launched out of the corporate new venture group that he led at Belkin. OHAD is an active board advisor for mobility and IoT companies, including Autofleet, Qt, Home 365, and MyPlanet. He holds an MBA from UCLA Anderson School of Management and a Bachelor's of Science in Operations Research from Cornell University. Ohad, welcome to our Digital Leadership Podcast Series today. Thank you, Ken. It's a pleasure to be here. And it's a pleasure to have you. As uh, as uh, everything, well, as many of these uh, podcasts do, there is a backstory, and that is back in the day when I was at a prior firm and Ohad was at uh, Belkin, I had an opportunity to meet him and his uh, co-founder at the time for uh, around Wemo, and that's Kevin Ashton, who many of you will know coined, you know, uh, at least is given credit for having coined the term Internet of Things. And so uh, we looked quite a bit at some early products they had for uh, potential usage by the company was at. And uh, since then, we've actually uh, supported Ohad uh, most recently at uh, Avis Budget Group. So a, a repeat client, shall I say, <laughs> in that regard. <laughs> So let's let's start with your professional journey. I gave a, a quick outline here, but you know, tell me a little bit about what you consider the highlights and how it in, has informed your views of digital industry. Absolutely. So uh, I started my career with uh, Ernst and Young Consulting, which then became Capgemini, and uh, I was the youngest, and, and by youngest I mean by about thirty years of a, a group of technology strategists within this uh, this one team. Um, and these guys uh, were not digital natives by by any means. I mean, kind of salt of the earth ex-IBMers uh, that were there to, to solve problems. And I, I bring this up because I think it was maybe the best foundation I, I could have ever gotten uh, into this, this digital world. It was not a technology first. It was a, what is the business strategy? Uh, what are the capabilities needed? Uh, what's the best way to achieve those capabilities? And then how do we take this transformation and make it a self-perpetuating process? And I had the opportunity to do that uh, kind of again and again and again across retail, banking, aerospace and defense, telco, utilities. Uh, with that foundation, I, I'd left for uh, 
for business school. And while at uh, UCLA Anderson, I was fortunate enough to join the new ventures group at uh, Bose. Bose is uh, is a very, very heavily engineering-led uh, culture. And the new ventures group's charter was to leverage Bose's IP outside of uh, audio and video. So I spent a lot of time thinking about uh, magnetic actuators, about signal processing, uh, about the the lowering cost of compute, and about where those uh, technologies could be used. Um, and that was that was really my first introduction to that that space of of new ventures. Uh, but it's also an example of a common pitfall. Uh, this group, by the virtue of its charter, was filtering the world from the point of view of how a technology can change a category. Um, now, uh, in 2007, I joined uh, Belkin, and there I had the opportunity to stand up uh, their new venture group as part of a broader corp dev uh, umbrella. And I had the chance there to reimagine that same toolkit and evolve the craft to give technology, but also uh, capabilities and the voice of the customer equal footing. Uh, I was working at that time under a very visionary CEO by the name of Mark Renoso who's currently the CEO of uh, EcoSense. And, and he, at that point, really encouraged me to dig into the, the macro trends, whether those be societal or economic or political, in order to try and envision uh, likely and desirable future states that we could take advantage of. And uh, that was a real fantastic ride. Over eight years there, I was able to, to build and, and to launch uh, several new businesses and categories, uh, a bunch of them that uh, failed fast, some that, that withered on the vine, and uh, and three of them that achieved uh, significant scale. Uh, the the last and most significant of these businesses that you referenced earlier was uh, Wemo. Uh, Wemo was one of the first mass market consumer IoT experiences when it launched in uh, in 2012. Uh, over the next three years, we scaled it to around 250 million dollars, and this was my my real introduction and indoctrination into uh, into IoT. Uh, but more than that, uh, I also had a driver's seat view for how deeply uh, digitalization can change all aspects of the organization. Uh, when we launched Remo, uh, kind of overnight, we changed the company from a traditional consumer electronics world of, uh, call it stack them high and let them fly, into an always connected experience, into a constant and ongoing relationship with uh, with a customer, and this drove some fundamental changes to to the way uh, to the touch points and and the way we engage with our customers. Uh, it changed the engineering teams, the marketing teams, customer care, even finance and pricing needed to to evolve to to fit the new reality. Um. Let's see. In in uh, in 2015, I was recruited by Verizon to build a home automation business. Um, and uh, in my time there, I was, I was fortunate enough to to be trusted to also run other digital initiatives in in natural user interfaces and other IoT programs, including uh, wearables. And uh, Verizon's scale and breadth also meant I was able to to partner with uh, telematics and smart city teams. And so this was a really rapid uh, maturing for me. While Belkin was all about speed, Verizon was about massive scale 
massive case capabilities and the intersection of uh, disparate categories. Uh, finally, in, in late 2017, I joined Avis Budget Group uh, with the mission to both envision and create new B2B businesses, uh, leveraging Avis, Budget, Zipcar, and the other brands' uh, capabilities. And uh, what became abundantly clear to me there was that uh, while the opportunities were abundant, uh, the business was not set up to, to capture them. So rental, uh, like many, is a, is a legacy service business. And it has grown over, over time, uh, monolithic systems and processes that are extremely efficient and doing that one business extremely well, uh, but could not easily be applied to, to new cases, new use cases. So what started out as, a, as purely a new venture exercise quickly morphed into digital transformation. Um, and the, the goal and the objective, how do we use the opportunity of new businesses to transform the core of businesses uh, let me restart that last piece. Um, so what started out as a purely new venture uh, quickly morphed into a digital transformation. Uh, basically, how do we use the, uh, the opportunity of the new business to transform the core of the business in bite-sized chunks? Very good. You've got a really rich history. When I look at that kind of that red thread going all the way from a corporate venturing to um, in the application of cross smart home and then mobility, it's a very rich experience base. You were involved in corporate venturing. You know, I'd say roughly. Well, this was a, it was some of the early days compared to a lot of uh, corporations um, who are obviously setting up scouting in Silicon Valley now and other things like that. Tell me a little bit about what your key learnings were relative to the value of, of um, corporate venturing to the corporations themselves. Yeah, I, um, you know, when I first started uh, with, with Bose, uh, I believe it was uh, 2005. And, and I think the, the key learning here was, was speed or maybe velocity is a better uh, phrase to use than, than speed and its importance in corporate venturing. Uh, when I first joined the Bose New Venture Group, they had shared with me uh, research that they had recently chartered uh, around corporate innovation activities. And uh, you know these 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 uh, these stats are outdated at this point, but at that time it showed the average lifetime of a new venture group was around three to three and a half years, which is basically six months less than the average tenure of a CEO uh, in that direct relationship. So that means you need to show impact. Um, and you have a limited time to, to show that impact. But of course, doing new things is hard. Uh, many are going to fail, and you don't know if the first one, the second one, or the first four uh, are the ones that fail. So if you need to have results in, let's say, three years, uh, you better have a few threads of commercial activities going in, in 18 months. And if you follow that up the funnel, you need a portfolio of concepts above that, a large funnel of opportunities. And uh, it becomes an engine. It becomes a, a, a process. The key learning here was about how to treat new venture creation as repeatable, measurable. Uh, it's often thought of as a creative process. It's not. Creativity has its moments. Uh, but this is, uh, th this is a process, not a moment of, uh, of inspiration. Um, so Pressure Profile System was the first place I was able to implement my own take on the system. 
but later on in Belkin was where I really had the resource to to put it to work in a in a meaningful way. Hmm. So in some sense, it's engineered innovation in sense versus happenstantial, or as you say, maybe just inspiration driven. And and the processes to innovate are as disciplined as probably as those to uh, to um, productize, if you will, in the end. So as you know, you mentioned uh, as moving to uh, to Belkin particularly. I think at the last count, uh, Wemo was in over a, a million homes. So clearly, an early leader and continue to be a leader in the smart home space. Um, as I mentioned, I know you had worked with Kevin Ashton at the time, who's you know got his own fame in IoT. But what inspired you and Kevin to to really build the Wemo line? Yeah, I think to to get to that origin story for for Wemo, uh, I actually need to go back a couple years before that to to 2010, uh, which was before we had acquired Zensi. Uh, Zensi was uh, Kevin Ashton's IoT company. Um, and at that time, um, I was building a new energy management business for Belkin. We we were seeing the the rapid uh, conversion of the grid um, and the capital going into into smart meeting uh, smart meters. Um, and uh, we had a small but well received uh, consumer power brand called Conserve that was having you know moderate success on on retail shelves in uh, helping consumers reduce their power consumption. And uh, what I was trying to do was position Belkin as the partner of choice for utilities as they were looking to help cons- uh, consumers access the insights generated by the, the smart meter. Uh, Zensi, uh, which was uh, founded by Kevin and Shwetak Patel, uh, a MacArthur Grant recipient from uh, UW, was very early, I am very early, to use machine learning to detect and identify individual energy appliances, uh, not by uh, connecting a whole bunch of, of lines to, uh, to the meter box, by, by, but by listening to the frequency of noise that each appliance left on, uh, on the power line. And uh, we acquired Zensi as a differentiator in the insights that we could extract and provide the, the consumer in this case, but what was happening within their home. Now, the problem was, is that that market never materialized. For all the promises that uh, utilities made the, the public utility commissions, uh, the investment just stopped at the smart meter and never really reached inside uh, the house. So for both Kevin and I, this was a, a really negative experience. And in, in many ways, uh, Wemo was actually a direct reaction um, to, to this... Uh, uh, negative experience of centralized energy management. The, the thinking was, how can we solve consumer problems without the need for a central authority? Uh, we had all of this great insight into the jobs consumers wanted to do around the home. And uh, a lot of them sounded like home automation, uh, of course, not using those, uh, those words. And people wanted to do these things, uh, but they weren't able to take uh, the leap either technically or economically. So we, we kind of put these two motivations together, our internal ones to distribute away from the utility and the, uh, the consumer jobs that, that we were seeing, and we started so- solutioning. And the, the solution you know, almost seems kind of obvious now when I talk about it uh, eight years later. Uh, but back then, some of the choices that were made were, were really counterintuitive. 
So we had rules like uh, don't have a hub and, uh, you know, we used Wi-Fi. Don't have a website. Uh, we were mobile only. Um, you know, keep things under $50. So we optimized for the cost of, uh, of trial, not the cost of uh, ownership for an entire house. And uh, we launched in 2012. Uh, we found product market fit, and then we just kind of held on for a while trying to, to keep up. Um, you know, it was a beautiful, simple proposition, and you know, Kevin, being the, the brilliant marketer that he is, really pushed the entire company to, to maintain this simplicity and, and weave it into the entire uh, product experience and brand experience. You know, later on, once we found success, it got more complicated again, but that might be another story for, uh, for another time. Well, you said earlier, uh, you know, moving from Belkin to Verizon really had a, a lot to do with scale, right? And Verizon, of course, very well known in terms of being an innovative telco in the IoT space. Um, as you went over the Run the Connected Home initiative, I mean, what what is your perspective of the the state of of smart home these days, um, or at least I'd say post uh, post Verizon? Yeah, I mean, smart home in the traditional definition. Um, as a consumer category, yeah, it's been a difficult space for for a while. Uh, you know, we can refer to the to the trough of uh, disillusionment, maybe. Um, you know, the the industry as a whole, I think, never quite evolved to solve the same trade off that we were trying to tackle uh, in in the WeMo and then in the Verizon days, which is uh, solving the trade off between do it yourself. And this magical multi-device, multi-experience interoperability. Uh, today, the the do-it-yourself are still do-it-yourself systems, and the you know whether the larger systems like Control Four or more modern attempts on on the same uh, uh, you know Josh.ai comes to mind, which is a you know call it a a uh, a controlled system with uh, with a natural voice interface to it. Um, they're still they're still paywalled and gardened off. And there was a really interesting piece of research that I used to study a lot. Um, and what it showed is that net promoter score, the uh, the satisfaction or the delight provided by uh, the the product, rose more than linearly, so had a almost exponential increase for every incremental experience that was integrated into uh, the smart home. So let me just, let me say that in a different way. The more uh, experiences that worked well together in a house, uh, the, the, the more benefit each device uh, brought to, to, to a user or to a family. But this is really, really uh, difficult to achieve. And, and th that's really the, the nut that, that still hasn't been, been cracked. Um, you know, voice assistants have dominated the market by offering a really, you know, let's say is a vastly superior control layer to what was there before, which was the, uh, you know, the phone interface, but because they are first a voice assistant, um, and primarily a voice assistant, which aims to do many things beyond, uh, the home that, that work on choreographing within the house has, has really stalled. Um, there's been recent advances around uh, interconnectivity and around uh, uh, finally standardizing between the, the ecosystems. Um, and, and maybe that's foundational stuff that, uh, 
that, that will make choreography happen better in the future. But, but I think this is, this is really how we climb out of that, that, that trough. And, you know, another way, and maybe perhaps a, a more measured uh, way to think through this is that we'll get smart verticals well before we get uh, smart homes as a, as a general horizontal category. Um, and maybe that truly automagical feeling for the mass of choreography comes when enough home have enough verticals to make coordination almost a follow-on activity rather than a, a lead proposition. So, you know, today the most preeminent vertical is security. Uh, you have companies like Ring, and now part of Amazon, and Simply Safe uh, that are strong challengers to that vertical, but they don't even need to eat that much uh, or any of ADT or, or Mani's uh, lunch to succeed. You know, traditional security never penetrated beyond 22% of U.S. households. So there's plenty of growth to be had uh, in offering security in novel ways. I think insurance is, is another really interesting uh, vertical. Um, and, uh, you know, Roost is an example of a bite-sized device, uh, uh, originally a battery. Uh, it evolved uh, since, but basically provides smoke detection and leak detection that's remote monitored in a very easy um, and economical way. And we're seeing really wide adoption of that kind of device through insurance partners that are happy to, to have it uh, penetrate their households. Uh, there's companies like Home365 that are trying to automate property management. There's a host of startups doing the same thing for warranty services. So really trying to uh, attach devices or use technology to fulfill a service proposition rather than the, the other way around. And some, uh, you know, some future emerging areas around here. I think solar and especially home batteries will drive uh, further innovation. Uh, and, and new categories around home automation. Uh, smart kitchen and cooking uh, seems to be uh, gathering a lot of momentum and, and probably still in, in kind of the prosumer uh, or the real aficionado world, but, but we'll, we'll make it into our homes uh, and perhaps uh, be somewhat accelerated through the, call it the rediscovery of, uh, of the kitchen over the, the lockdown in the last few months. Um, and then tiny houses, uh, maybe, maybe this, there's something that's near and dear to my house, but, uh, you know, tiny houses could be automated in a very different way. And, and this of course ties into modular construction as, as well. The ability to, to really come, um, in a, in a prefab sense with a lot of the, the guts and sensors already built in. You made a, um, a, a almost a conceptual leap from consumer uh, or connected home, if you will, consumer IoT to uh, leading mobility and future ventures for Avis. And I think you mentioned earlier you were working closely with the telematics group at Verizon, so that that explains a little bit. But uh, tell me a little bit about what uh, you know. What what was the incentive for the the jump, particularly you know, and some of the work that you uh, you did there? Uh, obviously, this whole space of rental is pretty interesting. Not only from as you said earlier position it as a bit of a legacy business, but in the world of ride sharing, um, of course, it takes on a whole new meaning. And most recently with uh, some of the challenges, uh, mainly by Hertz in the industry, I'm sure a lot of people are looking at this space and wondering what's next, right? So, Yeah, I mean, Hertz might be an interesting place for us to, to start this. Um, Hertz has obviously had a very troubled last five years. Uh, but they didn't go bankrupt because of their pricing or because of their operational cash flow. Uh, Hertz's bankruptcy 
uh, was because the wholesale market crashed by over 20%, uh, the used car uh, uh, marketplace. And when this happened, they needed to make, uh, you know, call it a $500 million payment to right-size the collateral value of their fleet debt. And the reason I bring up this, this very specific example is because um, it's, it's really easy to get excited about the new mobility landscape and, and use cases and forget that vehicle depreciation has some, um, call them almost immutable mathematical properties that it's very risky to try to, to innovate uh, your way out of. Um, you know, I don't know if holding costs are as powerful as the laws of thermodynamics, but they seem to be pretty steady. Uh, and a good recent example is, uh, is FAIR, who thought they had kind of a magic bullet for predicting residual costs at the, uh, at the end of a vehicle's lifetime. Uh, and turns out that was, uh, that was harder than it, than, uh, than it looked. That said, on the other hand of the equation is a customer base that's just screaming for change and for uh, a different way to engage with mobility brands. Uh, it's been trained by other digital experiences, and I think Uber played a really uh, huge part of that in transportation to demand more and uh, to demand better. Uh, customers want vehicles that are closer to, to where they work. Uh, they want vehicles that are closer to where they, uh, they live. And they want those vehicles, or maybe not even vehicles, those, those uh, mobility services uh, in, you know, just in time um, and on demand uh, in a seamless way and priced in a, in, a, in a way that matches whatever their use case and quality expectations are. So uh, that's the rub. That's the big paradigm in, in mobility. And uh, you know, maybe that's the, the parallel to home automation. It's these big, um, uh, these, these really massive um, incompatibilities between what the market has and customer demands that are interesting to innovate within. Uh, but that, you know, in, in mobility, it's how do you do just in time? How do you do local? How do you do all these things while maintaining high utilization? Because that that the the whole depreciation, uh, holding cost, uh, that all of unit economics are based on on these concepts of holding cost and utilization. So uh, to solve both is is the challenge. Uh, I think peer to peer brands like uh, Turo and Getaround uh, attempted to break this by. Uh, uh, by using a shared economy, by by using shared assets, and by crowdsourcing their their fleet, but it becomes extremely difficult to scale. It becomes extremely difficult to maintain uh, quality standards. Uh, so the question becomes how to do this with a centrally managed fleet. And uh, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about this at uh, at Davis Budget, and uh, you know, I like to propose I'd say these five points. Uh, the first is you need a fully connected fleet that supports contactless transactions. So the ability to uh, walk up and engage. In the way that you do with a scooter, uh, you need to do that with a, with a car and with any other model as well. Uh, the second is really good demand prediction models. So the ability to know where the customers are and when they're likely to want which use case. Uh, the third is uh, dynamic pricing. And this includes kind of dynamic pricing of the, the risk proposition. Uh, the fourth is frictionless switching between use cases. Now, now I'm coming at it from the uh, from the fleet's point of view or from the mobility provider's point of view. Uh, 
And uh, fifth is uh, maybe the least sexiest, but efficient and low capital distributed operations. So the ability to do things out in the field. And um, I think these are really valuable things to build because these same capabilities that are needed to fulfill that current gap in consumer expectations are also what's needed to effectively deploy uh, an autonomous fleet, uh, which is you know the, that, uh, that, that shining beacon on the hill. And the question becomes today is, will the current operators who have these massive advantages of scale uh, and efficiencies and footprint be able to transform themselves to gain these capabilities, uh, which are all digital capabilities, before the disruptors building greenfield systems be actually able to, to scale themselves. It's uh, interesting the five points that you make there, and you're absolutely right. The 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 value sometimes fulcrum is uh, whether you need to own your own presence, your own fleet, or whether you can do like Uber and literally you know crowdsource it in some sense, right, and uh, and distribute that. So uh, ultimately, you can see value in both. It's played out certainly in brick and mortar versus you know online retail in a while, right? That that same kind of uh, balance. So you're culminating a rich experience base in a number of companies you're working in, uh, your most recent venture, Mambo Strategic Ventures. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing there. And, uh, you know, if you don't mind me asking, you know, what's next, right? Yeah. So, so Mambo is, a, is an advisory vehicle uh, and, and just something that uh, I'm using today to be able to uh, share my experiences as someone who's uh, led product, who's led operations, who's led business development activities. Uh, I'm able to uh, to help companies with uh, forming new strategic alliances, uh, create new ventures, uh, figure out how to enter uh, markets. Uh, you know, some of the favorite projects that I've been working on are uh, with the startup enterprise combinations and figuring out how to de-risk pilots or accelerate decision making. Uh, and then selfishly, it's a vehicle for me to really get to know companies and their management teams as I think about what's next. Uh, personally, I want to I want to build again. For the last five years, I've spent a lot of time in the C-suite, changing hearts and minds. Um, and right now, I'm looking for uh, founding or management teams with a passion for a mission to do something meaningful, uh, whether that's in mobility or IoT or other adjacencies. Excellent. I know you're advising a number of startups. We uh, we mentioned them earlier, and I think I mis uh, mispronounced uh, uh, kite as cute. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> it but, is cute. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, tell me about some interesting startups you've seen, and certainly promoting ones that you've worked with as well. But you know, this is uh, given your dual perspective of smart home and smart mobility. Where are kind of the ones to watch out there? Yeah, well, one one I'm excited about. We actually talked about them uh, earlier uh, when we said Zensi. They're now a different company called Finn, P H uh, Y N. And uh, if you recall, Zensi, which was Kevin's uh, company, was what uh, was doing uh, electricity monitoring. Uh, well, Finn is using the uh, the same techniques. Uh, it's a it's a spinoff from Belkin and a joint venture with Upnor, which is a Finnish industrial, and they're concentrating on the the problem of water using infrastructure mediated sensing, looking at shock waves in the plumbing rather than in the electrical wire to identify uh, appliances or leaks. Um, and and to me this is exciting because well one it brings that vision into fruition, 
but for another reason, if we look far enough in the future, uh, water will be our most critical natural resource. And today in the U.S., it's almost free. And I just can't see a, uh, uh, a world where, that's, uh, uh, where that remains so. Uh, another in the mobility space, and uh, one of the companies I'm uh, fortunate to be able to advise is called Autofleet. Autofleet is an Israeli early-stage startup. They have a SaaS product that helps fleet become uh, more elastic and basically integrate any source of demand without the need for uh, human dispatch or driver decision-making. Um, and, uh, you know, this really helps fleet become uh, multi-use uh, multi case uh, and reduce the friction between those use cases, which is one of the, one of the points I shared earlier. Uh, they also offer a simulation service through the same platform, which means as an operator, I can A-B test any fleet or infrastructure configuration or optimize against any KPI using kind of the real-life existing operational configurations. Um, I think these, you know, auto fleet becomes a critical service in next generation fleet. And broadly, I really like the ability to simulate directly out of an operational service. Uh, generally, I've seen those uh, uh, as kind of two different uh, systems. Uh, so the, the ability to, to either simulate out of the operational service or conversely drive into operation an exact set of management rules that were optimized through simulation is, uh, is really compelling. Um, yeah, there's, uh, there's a, you know, this, this next, uh, is a combination of pretty veteran startups. So I don't know if it qualifies Ken to, to your question, but, uh, I'm really excited to see what they take to market. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, super pedestrian, uh, bought, uh, the assets of Zaxter. Um, and, uh, so super pedestrian, uh, in case you're not familiar with them, is a uh, mobility team. They initially made a splash uh, maybe four or five years ago for a product called the Copenhagen Wheel, which was a retrofit device which made any bicycle uh, electric and smart via retrofit. Uh, they then moved into e-bikes and uh, recently announced uh, their first uh, scooter, uh, so they're basically a full stack integrated design manufacturer for micromobility devices. Uh, Zaxter, on the other hand, began their life as a um, kind of a city bike competitor. Uh, over time, shifted to be more of a white label operator. They, they became an accelerator for other mobility brands to to deploy uh, micromobility. Uh, and they started engaging as well directly with municipalities, basically. Uh, uh, interfacing between uh, the municipality and the uh, micromobility operators or micromobility uh, brands. Uh, and they really put the city and the city's service levels at the forefront of their operations. So when these two come together, I'm really excited to see what they could do as a vertical uh, entity, which, uh, which should be a, uh, a powerful combination. Um, last one I'd like to call out is... Uh, you know, this touches on a, on a conversation you and I had uh, previously in terms of uh, how much more innovation is there in, in certain spaces. And this one, you know, I wanted to call out because it, it surprised me and it showed me that we will continue to reinvent some of these things. And that's through uh, hard tech. Uh, so a friend of mine uh, who is one of the founders of Union Labs, uh, which is a hard tech uh, fund and accelerator, just invested in them. They're called... Uh, um, Strella or Strea uh, Biotechnology, and um, they've created a new sensor 
that measures uh, fruit maturity. Um, and yeah, again, I think it's interesting because it's, it is real hard tech, but now it opened up something that I thought was closed for a while, like cold chain, and puts a whole new spin on it and allows a whole bunch of uh, new entrants to think about how to, to service it. Excellent. So Finn, Autofleet, Super Pedestrian slash Zaxter, and Estrella Biotech, uh, all great, uh, uh, I think, references in this. And I do love the diversity of, uh, I'll call it smart things that uh, that you're focusing on between all of those. A final question we like to ask uh, in these, any recommendations or books uh, of books or resources that uh, that inspire you'd like to share with the uh, the audience? So uh, a couple of recent ones. Uh, first, on, on the personal development front, um, I've been reading and practicing Deep Work by, uh, by Cal Newport. Um, and I'm really excited about kind of the initial returns in personal productivity. So it's, it's, been, a, it's been an interesting few months, you know, between politics, uh, pandemic, uh, recent street actions, uh, I don't know how to say it except that the attention economy is is winning. And so uh, uh, deep work and those concepts is, is the best way that I've personally find to kind of fight back and, uh, and gain some of that uh, centeredness and uh, productivity. Uh, from a professional point of view, I highly recommend a book that just dropped uh, earlier this week called uh, Transportation Transformation by Evangelo Simudis. Um, I was lucky enough to get a period a few months ago. Uh, Evangelos is a managing director with uh, Synapse Partners, and he tackled a, uh, a very difficult topic that is usually uh, grossly oversimplified. So he basically answers, uh, you know, he, look at a, he looks at a autonomy and thought through the mid to long-term effects on the mobility ecosystems, but then also mapped up the second order and interaction effect on each of the ecosystem participants and uh, made pretty concrete recommendations on what each one of them, uh, whether OEMs, uh, cities, uh, uh, transportation providers needed to uh, do and adopt to earn a right to play and win in the future. So uh, highly recommended as a read. Yeah, you know it's funny. I I know Evangelos well back way back from his Apex Partners days, and uh, and then more recently Trident Capital. I think I've had lunch with him probably about a year ago in the Bay Area. So I think another another uh, podcast speaker in in the making. So good uh, good mention there. And uh, deep work. I think the third P you were looking for was uh, politics, pandemics, and protests. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it has it has been the trifecta of sort in uh, in that regard. Well, oh, it has been a a fascinating conversation. You truly are a renaissance uh, leader in uh, in this space. Um, Ohad, um, you know, really appreciate uh, the uh, the time you spent. Um, you know, you've been, uh, what, a smart home, smart mobility advisor, investor, and public speaker, and it's been great to have you on, uh, on the call. So thank you so much. Thank you, Ken. All right. Take care, and uh, we will look forward to uh, episode 98 next week of uh, our Digital Leadership Podcast Series. So thank you, and take care. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Leadership Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the discussions. And as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of prior podcasts, webinars, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening. 